This is the Job Stories Podcast, how people find work that matters. Thanks so much for coming on um, the Job Stories Podcast. So to get us started, if you don't mind, just quickly introduce yourself and what is your job now? What do you currently do for work? Yeah, thanks for having me, Mason. Um, yeah, so what do I do for work? That's uh, That's been a tough question to answer uh, recently. Um, I am the CEO of a company called D-Climate, where we are indexing and organizing the world's climate data and building cool stuff on top of it. I'm sure we'll get into exactly what I'm building there um, or what we're building there. And uh, that's in the blockchain world. And I'm also the co-founder and chief data scientist at a company called Arbol, where we do parametric insurance on climate events. And uh, parametric insurance is just data-driven insurance. So instead of you know having an adjuster, having a whole claims process, we take climate data. If a certain event happens and it's reported by data, the client gets paid out. So it's just a very fast, uh, seamless transaction. In order to do that, we need to have a ton of data. So that's how Deep Climate was started. And these two companies kind of live in the in an ecosystem together. Yeah, that that's really that's really cool. I I love talking to folks like yourself that have obviously very mission driven businesses and organizations that you've started. Like, how did you get into the environment space? How did that come about for you? Yeah, that's a great question. I've always just uh, I've always just kind of been interested in that. Um, you know, one of the reasons I'm I'm in America is. Uh, I was actually born in India. My dad was a senior uh, minister in the uh, in the Indian government, overseeing the national parks. So we came to uh, to America because he was doing his PhD on sustainable uh, development in the Boston area, and so really studying how people interact with uh, forests, um, how deforestation happens, and what happens after that happens. You know, how are local communities impacted, and you know, what's what are quantitative ways to analyze this? So growing up, we that was kind of a very sort of prominent thing at home. Like, you know, we, we watched a lot of environmental documentaries. We watched a lot of nature documentaries on public TV. And we talked about, you know, what's going on in the world from that aspect. So I always just kind of grew up with that uh, on the back of my mind. Um, I studied math and CS and I was really into, uh, I got really into data science because it was an application of those ideas in the real world, like outside of a textbook. You can see things being done. You can build cool stuff um, when you have a lot of data. And so naturally, you know, we just kind of started thinking about how there's a lot of great climate data out there. It's very like rich. What are what are things we can discover within this data? And then better yet, how can we turn this data into products that help people? Hmm. Yeah, that's um I, I love that. And I and I do think I'm just like even just here in Nashville, there's been more and more tech startups entering into the environmental space, whether it's like agricultural, like carbon credit style companies or anything like that. Like we've had a few. Are you seeing the, the it seems like there's there's more environmental companies kind of popping up, which is a great thing. So are you seeing that more and more lately in your world? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, I think it was Larry Fink, the, um, the head of BlackRock, who said something like the next next thousand or, you know, yeah, I, I don't exactly remember the number. I believe it was a thousand. Like the next thousand uh, unicorns are going to be in the climate tech space. Mm. And that's generally something I, I agree with. And, and uh, you know, particularly in the blockchain space, because we do live at the intersection of kind of traditional tech world slash fintech and blockchain. Um, 
it, particularly in the blockchain space, um, I think ever since Elon Musk made those comments about uh, Bitcoin and environmental sustainability, um, it's been really interesting to see the blockchain space kind of took it to heart. And even though there are disagreements over that particular narrative, a lot of people put their entrepreneur, their thinker caps on, their creative caps on, and basically said, well, how can we use blockchain to fix this problem rather than be part of it? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where we essentially saw the birth of revive, regenerative finance. It's been an idea that's been around for a long time. And a lot of people have basically seen that actually blockchains are really good at incentivizing uh, different parties to act with long-term um, benefits for an ecosystem. So Let's apply this idea to climate. And I think broadly speaking, um, there has been generally a frustration that the government or corporations are not doing enough to you know, kind of promote climate action. And so how can we use a lot of this new technology that we have, blockchain and otherwise, and how can people get actively involved to help solve a lot of the climate problems that exist? I particularly love, I want to touch on the blockchain stuff here in just a second, but I particularly love for you, you getting into the space came generationally for you, like, because your dad was studying it for his PhD and then kind of that trickle down for you. So it's been in your life for a long time, it sounds like, which I'm only speaking from my experience, like, unfortunately, like uh, being environmentally conscious and then companies that are doing things to solve problems in the space has only been in adulthood for me, but it sounds like it's been around your life for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, it has been. It's, it's kind of always just like been there in the background. And I guess it's not till recently when, you know, I sit and look at the different things I've worked on and the things that I've found interesting and the things that I haven't found interesting and how, how uh, I've been fortunate to learn different skills and then somehow I, and I and I really don't know how, but somehow all the quantitative stuff that I studied, all the time I spent on Wall Street, all the all the tech stuff I was interested in, and all the environmental things I grew up with, just kind of came together with these two companies. Mm-hmm. And I really can't explain how that happens, mm-hmm. but sometimes those are the best things, right? Totally. Like uh, there's there's serendipity involved. Oh, I love that so much. Yeah, let's talk about your background real quick. So, um, like leading up to today, being a founder of a company. So, how did, how did it really come about from a work standpoint, from your career journey? What was kind of yeah. how did you get into what was kind of your first line of work that led to today? Yeah, so I I was always studying uh, I was always studying math at a at a you know kind of advanced level, and uh, basically I went to college to to do that. I went to Carnegie Mellon University, so very tech heavy school, um, great math program, and uh, I'd been programming computers for a long time, so I did a little bit of that there, but mostly just focused on the math. And you know, I uh, I got really interested in I, I was studying pure math, so all the abstract ideas there, and uh, it was it was a lot, and I definitely felt uh, felt a little burned out by it. So I started taking these courses in probability and statistics and mm-hmm. forecasting, and kind of um, kind of just like a lucky happenstance. Um, where I grew up, like right down the street, is a really famous defense contractor called BBN Technologies. They were later bought by Raytheon, but these guys were part of building ARPANET. 
these guys uh, did the acoustical analysis of the JFK assassination tapes. Like they, they have just kind of been on the cutting edge of tech for a long time. I happened into an opportunity to work for their natural language processing group. And this was in 2009. Like I was just graduating high school, right about to go to college. And it was like, you know, come help us build NLP tech. And it was called speech to speech translation. Um, and this is at a time before Siri, you know, we're programming phones to, or we're programming software that first lived on laptops and then later lived on iPhones that could do translations for you. Hmm. Kind of the stuff you see with like chat GPT now, right? Hmm. And so right. this was very advanced government tech. Um, so that was my first exposure to using data in like a real world problem solving thing. And so I kept going back to how interested I was in that specific problem solving. And so that's how I stumbled into the statistical side of math, the probability forecasting, this idea of taking large sets of data and coding and using that to generate algorithms. So from college, I went to, uh, I went to Wall Street. I worked, at a, I worked at a couple different shops, a hedge fund and a large asset manager. I, I won't name either of them unless you want me to. Um, <laughs> Uh, both in fixed income. So basically working with like bonds and stuff. Um, you know, to be very honest with you, I, I didn't really enjoy that. That's I true. found it kind of boring. Um, the market was also kind of dead because it was like peak QE time. And uh, more importantly, a lot of the work felt very like rote. It didn't feel very creative. Mm. And so I started looking around and I took a chance on this kind of uh, company that was doing research using credit card data and web scrapers to forecast equities. And I thought, Hey, I like forecasting. They seem to be working with large amounts of data. Like this could, this could be what I'm interested in. Hmm. And that was awesome. It's a space called alternative data. And so I worked in that for about six years, both in a research capacity and running a group at a hedge fund that would work on uh, using these models to trade stocks. And there I really kind of, I really developed a passion for, basically taking these enormous data sets and turning them into very concrete analyses, very concrete forecasts, and using it to describe the state of the world, and then using it to understand the risks around how a company operates or how people interact with the company. So that's, that's basically what I was doing. Now, along the side, I was falling into the blockchain rabbit hole more and more. Yeah. And, you know, anyone who's involved in blockchain knows how that happens. You start out skeptical then you get a little curious and then before you know it it's just it's all you think about and it's all you do um <laughs> so <laughs> yeah my my older brother uh sid who i actually work with um he is he is also like a like a math uh background and he's he's seven years older than me so he was on wall street and that's one of the ways i ended up there hmm. because when, when I was studying math, you know, I was told you can become an actuary or you can become a professor. And those are basically your two job options. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, he was working in Wall Street doing quant stuff. And I was like, that sounds a little more interesting. So I've, I've always been very close to him. And um, so he had this idea because, you know, I was ranting about Ethereum and smart contracts, mm -hmm. things I didn't even fully understand at the time. <laughs> uh, yeah. it's funny yeah like, it sounds like a conversation between me and my brother most days we just go on random yeah, yeah. i also work yeah, with my brother we're still so. we're still like that yeah. so it's yeah no it's, it's exactly a lot of times when people spend time with us they're like your conversation has no logical flow but you two seem to understand yeah, what you're talking yeah, about yeah y'all are so, on the yeah. same wavelength yeah 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 <laughs> that's great um 
so yeah, he, he was working in commodities trading mm -hmm. and he was like, well, there's a lot of this like climate data that's out there mm -hmm. and you can use it to forecast crops. You can use it to do all sorts of stuff. You know, can we embed it in smart contracts to basically create hedges against these weather events that people could use? And I was like, that's, that's pretty fascinating. Um, that's a very different use case of blockchain than anything else I'd seen out there. And so that's how we started working on it. We put together a little team all through people that we knew. Uh, so it's kind of fun how that, how that came together. And that's how our ball was born. And, uh, Working on that, business went went pretty well despite you know launching our products March 2020 and mm -hmm. uh, all the things that happened right after that. Wow. Luckily, business went uh, went well, and you know, looking uh, a few months later, looking at the tech stack that we have because it's not at all the tech stack that a traditional insurance company would have because we're operating in this very like cutting edge mix of AI and blockchain. We realized all this climate data that we have has a lot of value outside of our bowl, let's treat it like the public good that it is. Mm. How do we make this um, really valuable data set available to everyone? And that's where we came up with the idea of declimate, which is let's open this up as a full network. Let's monetize applications on this data and leave the base layer of data as free as possible. Let's use a marketplace mechanism to index and organize global climate data. And that's that's essentially the core of declimate. Mm. Love that. And I, I don't guess I realized, um, ha having known you a little bit now, I didn't know you were doing it with your brother. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So it's me, uh, Sid, my older brother, and then, um, Phil, our, uh, CEO, CFO, he was also in the commodity space and, cool. uh, our, uh, our fourth partner was Ben, our, our original CTO. Cool. Yeah. That's, that's so cool. Yeah. My brother was the, the, also the co-founder of our talent acquisition business. So, and he hosts a podcast yeah, as well. So, yeah. We got asked that a lot at the beginning, like, oh, is it like weird working with your sibling? And it's like, yeah. no, it's, this is great. <laughs> yeah. It's the easiest person to communicate with. Why wouldn't it be great? <laughs> That's right. I get that a lot too. People are like, is that kind of hard? I'm like, well, I mean, me and my brother have been so much through so much together anyway. Like we know each other so well that it's like, I, I don't know. It's even in maybe tougher conversations or conflict, like we just, we just know each other. So it's like, there's no surprises for either one of us. I, I think that yeah. helps some for us particularly. Yeah. Um, what, um, let's uh, talk through kind of entrepreneurship a little bit. I want to hit on that some, um, kind of what's been, what do you think's your favorite part about running your own business? What's been, what's been um, fun for you? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of different aspects that are definitely fun. I think, you know, um, yeah, I kind of, I kind of was, was very direct about how my first few jobs felt kind of rote yeah. and, and I found that boring. Um, that's definitely not the case. So that, that's something, you know, um, I think people also say like, as an entrepreneur, you can make your own hours. Well, turns out, uh, turns out every hour of the day ends up being, <laughs> being an hour that you're working. So you make all um, hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Flexible schedule. I, I keep hearing about this. Um, but no, I, I, I find that it's great to be able to direct the ideas and direct the path of work. And it's a great balance between the creative side where let's experiment with an idea and see what we can come up and the very practical side of there is a market need for this or there isn't a market need for this. This is something we can sell or this is something we can't. And so balancing that to really hone in a product and then you're never, you're never done. You're always kind of listening to your customer and making it better and pushing out more and more updates. That part to me is really fun. 
Yeah, that actually poked out in my mind when you were talking briefly about your Wall Street gig um, being more on the monotonous side, not as creative. I, that resonates with me because I, I actually come from a, a more of a creator music background. And so this company feels a lot like that. Like every day is very different and we are creating, you know, I mean, it yeah. looks a little different than maybe music did for me, but it's still very creative in its own right, you know? Yeah. And, you know, on the Arbel side, um, our team has grown so much. I think, you know, we crossed something like 90 people between the two companies. It's a little over a hundred people. And yeah, it's, it's just so interesting. Like, uh, on the, on the interpersonal side, when you go from a team of four to 10 to a team of 20 to a team of 40, like the different ideas that come into play, the different ways to execute on them. Um, it's, it's really quite fascinating how the company itself evolved, mm. a company itself evolves and being able to kind of, uh, step back and see that how much that's changed from day one that's not something you know you really get to do uh, at a at a normal job because you weren't there necessarily day one now of course if you join a startup in a really early stage you do get to do that and i would say if you're you know in the first 10 there's an arbitrary number but the first 10 employees at a startup you're you're as much an entrepreneur as as anyone who who is a founder because you're helping lead that charge so you get the you get the benefit of that perspective for sure. Yeah, that's a good call. I, I think about that too with us in another way. Um, yeah, it's almost like, I mean, I do have a daughter. I've got a five-year-old daughter. I have a kid. It's almost like another kid or something. Like watching <laughs> it grow is like a really bizarre thing. Because we started it with zero anything, zero clients, zero, you know, dollars, zero anything. And now we have, more of those things it's like watching it grow in that regard such a i'm i'm having to slow down and and look back and be like like even in even kind of like harder times just be like no like or harder days be like no like there was a day when no one like this was not a thing and now it is we it's yeah. it's growing and it's um we're creating all the time i don't know if that's you can relate to that experience as well no de definitely can relate to that and you know i think about the, the early days where, you know, we were figuring out how to build all this stuff, um, scraping on, uh, on a seed round versus, you know, raising a series A, two, two totally different processes. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, seeing a lot of, uh, a lot of tech companies in the media and stuff. Like it, it also helps give some perspective there of like, okay, you look at a, like a behemoth company, like, like Amazon. And it's like, wow, <laughs> to yeah. go from, to go from startup to a company that size is, is truly, is truly insane. Mm -hmm. When, when, when I just think about the details involved in, uh, in our growth, and then I extrapolate that to all the things they must have to deal with. Uh, it's pretty fascinating. Yeah. Gosh, I really appreciate you touching on that. I don't, I'm, it's, it's reminded me of that. Like, Cause that is super daunting. You're like, Whoa, Amazon, like how in the world? It's really insane. Go from startup, like you said, startup to what they are now. Um, and then on the flip side, like there is a path there, you know, I'm not saying yeah. we're ever going to be Amazon, but like, it's just the idea that like, it's almost like one step at a time, you know? Yeah. It just really drills into you that the execution is so important mm. that to go from the creative idea to the execution is just, uh, it's, it's the bulk of it. And, uh, there are 
there are a couple ways to do it right, but more importantly, there are a million ways to do it wrong. And mm. so that's kind of always on your mind as you're, as you're moving forward. That's great. Yeah. And, and, um, how's it been speaking of like kind of maybe doing some things on the wrong side, like how's it been kind of learning from failure for y'all? I know we, we do it more than I wish we did, but what's that kind of been like? Has there been any, any, are there some things you could point to? You don't have to name them. I'm just saying in general. Yeah. Yeah, no, there, there are definitely, uh, there are definitely failures along the way. Um, I would say a lot of that is around, you know, kind of going back to this idea of, uh, of the company growing and, um, the complexity of the business growing as a result of that, mm. um, you know, the same process that worked for a team of eight will not work for a team of 40. And mm. unfortunately, the only way to figure that out is when that process breaks and you got to jump on that right away. Hiring decisions, mm -hmm. those get tougher and tougher as a team builds out because you want to give you want to give everyone their space to be creative and to come up with good ideas. But at the same time, we have to focus on execution. And mm -hmm. so you need to find people that kind of fit that balance of being able to push forward ideas, but also uh, being able to hit exactly the the marks that you think make the most amount of sense. Um, so you know, those are, those are definitely kind of uh, top of mind there. And then, um, yeah, you know, just, just kind of, I, I would say on a lower level, sometimes the deal doesn't work out. Sometimes it looks like everything's going to work out in 11th hour, it falls apart. So you have to go back and I, uh, I call them postmortems. You have to sit back and look at, okay, go through all the gruesome details of what exactly went wrong. And those, those do happen. And uh, it would be crazy to expect them to not happen. Mm. Right. But it's important to learn from them. Mm. That's fantastic. I love it. That's great. Um, so let's get, I want to hear your, uh, your pitch for blockchain. Why blockchain at y'all's business? Like what's, what's excite you about that? And um, yeah, I want to hear more about um, that for you. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's such a, it's such a fascinating technology, right? Um, but it's it's more than that. It's um, there's something very analog and simplistic about blockchain that I really like. And oftentimes I hear that blockchain is a solution looking for a problem. And I think I think that's really not the case because if you look at the way the world works, the problems have become clear, right? Like just before this, we were chatting about how centralized exchanges, centralized banks, mm -hmm. centralized market makers, they've been the most impacted by, by market events. And a lot of the decentralized tech has held up great, right? Um, so, you know, when I think back to 2020, right, the COVID pandemic and all the things that happened, one of the biggest takeaways and one of the reasons I became so kind of pro blockchain during that time period is that when you look at global infrastructure so much has been so much security and robustness has been sacrificed for speed mm. how quickly can we do something not how robustly can we maintain right and 2020 showed us that all global infrastructure is basically prone to this weakness and blockchain despite being a very simple solution, this idea of a ledger actually helps fix a lot of these problems. Mm. Um, so that's kind of the, that's kind of the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. Particularly as it relates to our business, um, I find a couple aspects of it very interesting. So on the, on the insurance, um, on the insurance company side, 
the climate, the climate coverage that we offer, or the climate derivatives that we make, you know, this is a great use case of an Ethereum smart contract. A data event happens, it triggers. It triggers a payment. It triggers the movement of money from one place to another. If that doesn't happen, then that money doesn't, right? And so now you have something that's checking the state of the world and can kind of manage itself. Now you can get much more complex with it and you can do much more interesting things where you can financialize a lot of, uh, a lot of products along the way. You can bundle together a bunch of these deals as, a, as an NFT portfolio, you know? Does that have use in the market today? Amongst some very forward-looking companies, possibly. Will this be the market of the future? I think so. On the data side, it's, um, it's about putting Earth's climate record on an immutable ledger, right? So why do that? Well, now we have an industrial-grade auditable trail of exactly what was going on on the planet at any given time. And there are two reasons why that's important. One is when you're building applications for analysis, you can look back at this and say, this is what was going on. This is why certain decisions were made. This is the future state that happened. Mm. So that's very important. The second part, and this is kind of more of the, a little bit of the crypto philosophy, right? Or the blockchain philosophy, which is the data about our planet. I said this earlier, it's a public good. It shouldn't, you know, it's being collected by governments and stuff, but it shouldn't belong to any one company. It shouldn't belong to Arbol. It shouldn't belong to you or me. It should be a public good that anyone can access because we should all be able to look at what's going on on the planet and see what initiatives have worked and what haven't. And, you know, if someone wants to publish research using climate data, they should be free to do so, hmm. right? The fact that it's government collected right now, I think is a good thing, but that also puts it at risk. What if funding disappears? What if, uh, what if they want to bring private companies in that want to close off that data, right? These are all possibilities that could happen. So by creating this open network, which blockchain facilitates, you really empower a lot of different groups to work with it, right? So going back to my personal background, you know, one of the reasons I ended up on Wall Street was I'm learning all these forecasting algorithms. I'm learning AI. What data do I have access to? Well, I can go on Yahoo Finance and download large amounts of stock data hmm. and then train some algorithms and see what happens. Now I think of, you know, maybe there's a kid in college learning these same things. If he has access, he or she has access to large amounts of climate data, what can they build? This idea of a citizen scientist is very exciting to me. Yeah. Um, on top of the business aspects of it, making this data available for different groups to work with, to bring their ideas to the table mm. and to just experiment and build cool stuff. Like, I think that's really exciting. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, uh, yeah. And I, I just, I just find it so interesting. Like the, the particular use case for y'all, you know, with blockchain in, in environmental, um, in environmental industry, because that's been my favorite part. My favorite part about being in the community um, in the space is, seeing all the different use cases and and just what y'all are doing with it i think is fantastic thank you yeah i think i think i like where we're positioned in the industry because it doesn't matter what you're building if you are building climate tech software you're going to need data mm. and we can make that easy to access so I like that we get to meet a lot of these projects that are maybe working on carbon offsets, maybe working on agri-tech. They're kind of working on all these different things and they can still utilize our data and they can still contribute to the ecosystem by putting data on it as well. 
there's a company in Nashville called Agri Capture actually that's in that space. I think they're in the they're in the rice game. Um, gotcha. But I think it's a car- carbon offsets, but um, I ought to connect y'all at some point if it's of interest. Yeah, might, for sure. I might hit it off. For sure. <laughs> what um what are y'all um what are you specifically? And we'll we'll wrap up here in just a second. But I want to hear what you're excited about. Um, kind of in the future, it could be personal or professional. But I always like to ask my guest, what are you looking forward to the most here upcoming for you? Yeah, um, I think on the on the professional side, it's uh, and as I was saying, being uh, being in this new kind of entrepreneurial role, the uh, the blend between personal and professional has completely disappeared. Um, <laughs> Good call. So, yeah, um, I'm really excited about a bunch of products that we're we're launching. We've been working on them for a while. We've been getting a lot of great customer feedback. We've been using that to refine the products, and now it's. Uh, it's coming up on go time. So in the coming few months, decline, it will have a few different software platforms going out. Uh, one targeted for the commodities industry, one targeted for general climate risk assessment, and then some really cool work that we've been doing in the carbon space. So really excited to get those out there. I think, you know, on the, uh, on the specific blockchain and blockchain tech side, um, our CTO at Declimate, he's an old friend of mine. And so we we talk a lot both uh, about work and you know just tech in general. And the the stuff his team has put together in terms of the infrastructure of our marketplace, I think it's fascinating. And as a blockchain enthusiast, I think it's beneficial for the whole space. So mm-hmm. I am really excited to see that grow and to you know move on to mainnet and bring more people on board. And really see how people take the tech and use it for other things as well. You know, I think there's uh there's kind of a open platform there. So those are the, those are the few things that, uh, that come to mind specifically. Um, but uh, yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, we're, we're cheering y'all on. I, I appreciate you taking the time to do this and for um, our audience to kind of get to know you a little bit. If there's anyone that wants to maybe get in contact with you and learn more about your companies, um, if that's all right, is there a way that they can do that if they hear this podcast? Yeah, uh, definitely, definitely all right. Um, so I'm on LinkedIn. That's an easy way to reach out to me. Osho Ja at LinkedIn. Um, and then I am on Twitter as well. I'm Crypto Bro Show NYC. It's a photo of my uh, my old poodle who unfortunately passed away in January. But uh, yeah, I'm keeping him there. I was going to NFT him, but uh, yeah. So that's uh, that's me on uh, on Twitter. They're welcome to reach out there as well. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty responsive on both. And uh, always happy to discuss some some interesting ideas and uh, see what uh, see what different facets we can collaborate on. That that's awesome. We'll uh, we'll link all of that on the on the description. Uh, but you should do an NFT of your pup. That's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. I when I got him, he was older, so it was yeah. it was an idea I had for a while. And just uh, I don't know, just never did it. But uh, yeah, my wife and I had two dogs um, that that in the last year they both have passed. But they uh, they were like Sorry. one of them was seventeen and one of them was sixteen. We think yeah, one was... of them was rescued older, so we don't fully know the gotcha. age. But they were they lived long lives. Kind of crazy. Yeah, this little guy was a toy poodle. Rescued him. He was eight. Took him to the vet the next day. Just check up, and they were like, "No, he's 11." Whoa. Um, so, yeah, he made it to he made it to a little past his 15th birthday. Really, really, just wonderful dog. And then a couple months ago, um, we rescued another toy mm. poodle. He's uh, he's like 11 months. Totally different energy level, but he's uh, he's getting used to us. We're getting used to him, and yeah. uh, it's nice having a dog in the house again. Oh. 